0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is great to see everybody. It's great to be able to worship together. I don't know about you, you come out of a song like that and you want to just keep worshiping. So I would encourage you, if you're feeling that right now, Tuesday night, the whole night is dedicated to worship. And so it's a great opportunity. We gather in here, we'll be here, our team leading. I'd encourage you to come and be a part of that. Come and be a part of all that's happening. School's starting, I know. A lot of people are kicking off this week. There's wailing and gnashing of teeth among young people. There's celebration among parents. There's kind of a combination of both, a, a little bit happening with that. But so much going on, this is the time to get engaged, especially if you're, you're brand new, maybe you're visiting with us, check it out. I know venture can feel like a big place and you don't know where to fit in. Life groups is one of the key ways you can jump in. Stop by the hub, talk to us, let us help you in that process. That's the key thing I always ask. Sometimes people do it the hard way, they try to figure out everything alone. We've got staff who love nothing more than help, helping people take the next step and get involved. And so let us help you with that. Uh, one of the questions that we've received too is, uh, are we doing anything regarding disaster relief in Hawaii? And so we have our team JC who was out here, who leads our local outreach, Daniel, who leads our, our global outreach. They're talking to different partners From those that we've talked to right now, if you wanted to make an immediate donation, everybody we're talking to says the Salvation Army is your best way to get funds directly to Hawaii quickly. We will be giving a gift from our disaster relief fund. Um, We're looking at that right now. Is is the Salvation Army the best place to give it? Or is there anybody on the ground right there doing ministry? And so just know that we'll give to that. But just wanted you to make you aware. We'll let you know where we have. And if you wanted to donate, you can give toward disaster relief with the church or just give straight to the Red Cross. But uh, at Salvation Army. Give to it because there's so many people, they have been devastated. In fact, I I thought we would just take a minute before we jump into our message today and can we pray for the people there? Pray for the lost, pray for the families and all that they're going through. Will you pray with me? Father, we do come before you and uh, we see this tragedy that keeps unfolding as the numbers of lives that have been lost, of the families who've lost everything. Just in a moment's notice how quickly this comes. Lord, I'm reminded of your word even as we've been in James where uh, James tells us we we don't know what tomorrow brings for any of us and how desperate and dependent we are on you. Lord, I, I pray for those who have lost loved ones, lost family, that even today you would comfort, even today your church would show up. Lord, I pray for those who've been devastated financially. They have nothing left. Lord, again, I pray that your church, your people would step forward with generosity to help those in crisis. Lord, you tell us that you're near to the brokenhearted. You tell us those who are crushed, you're there. And so we claim that prayer for the people of Hawaii. We claim that prayer for the people who've experienced this today and pray that you would use your church that through your spirit, through your comfort, through your peace, you would do what only you can do. That you could bring out of this devastation good for those who need it desperately right now. Lord, as we open your word, I I pray that uh, your spirit would convict where it needs to. We are all prone to uh, try to convince ourselves maybe we're better than we think we are in areas of our life. And that's why we gather here as your church. That's why we sing these songs. Because you're not only a perfect God, you're a gracious God. You're a forgiving God, but you're also a life-changing God. And so we pray, would you use your word now to change our lives and we pray this in Christ's name amen well this morning we're going to actually cover a shorter passage than I intended to you know I was planning on finishing out the book of James as I got to the end James is, is interesting he, he doesn't write with a lot of polish to be honest with you, compared to some of the other letters. If you look at some of the letters in the New Testament, letters in that time period, they usually have a structure, a form. They finish out with greetings and that. James is just kind of meat and potatoes. At the end of the book, there's no greetings. There's no finishing out. There's no salutation or any part of that. He just kind of bam, bam, bam. And, and I guess if you're Jesus' little brother, you can do it, you know, any way you want to. He's the key leader of the church. And so at the end of the book here, it's just like he starts hitting with some key things that he wants to make sure comes to our attention because they're key areas we need to deal with in our life. And so today in James 5, we're going to look at one verse. James 5, 12, I've got it right here on the screen. It's pretty simple for you there. He says, but above all my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, look at the two ends of the verses here. The beginning of it, he goes, before I finish out this letter, I need to highlight something. And when I highlight it, I want to say, hey, above all, that's his way of saying, hey, don't miss this. Pay attention to this hey, this is an issue. Above all, my brother. So he's writing Christians here. He said, I'm not, I'm not writing about those bad people out there. He goes, this is an issue we need to deal with so that you don't fall under condemnation. And so, so he, ends up, he goes, this is serious stuff. Now you look in the middle of it though, and it doesn't really strike us. It says, you know, don't swear by heaven or by earth or, any other oath. And and we kind of look at it and go, is that really an issue? Was that really an issue in the church? Is that really an issue for us today? And what he's talking about here, the the issue and and the problem he's talking about with swearing is, is was was particularly predominant among the children of Israel, especially those who had come out of a strong Jewish background. So as he's writing, remember, he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. And so as he's writing there, and a lot of what he saw were issues that had carried over from that. And so he he's writing about swearing. When he's using the word swearing here, he's not talking about cuss words. He's not saying, oh, you got a cussing problem. He's not talking about foul language. He's not even talking about taking the Lord's name in vain, per se, on that. It's not that commandment. Now, there's other scriptural commandments about that, unwholesome speech and all that. That's not the focus here. Uh, just to give you a little history, part of it was in the Old Testament, taking an oath, taking a vow was a very sacred thing. In fact, the act of doing, if you go back to Deuteronomy, look at Deuteronomy 10:12, where Moses is laying out the law. He says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. And there's actually the command here, take your oaths in his name. And, and it was meant in that culture, especially if, if I wanted to take an oath with you, if I'm making a promise with you to really seal that, I would take it in God's name. And what I'm saying in that moment is God is the witness of this oath. And so I'm doing this before God. A little bit later in Deuteronomy, we see it as well. It says in Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow, if you make one of these oaths to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you'll be guilty of sin. So if you do this, you're accountable to God in it. Now, notice what he says. If you refrain from making a vow, you'll not be guilty. Nobody's forcing you to do this. But whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. So it's pretty clear in the Old Testament, there were these places for taking vows. In fact, we see it throughout scripture. This, this is not a prohibition against ever taking an oath. Some people have taken that in history. They're like, oh no, you can't take an oath of office. You can't take an oath when you're, you're in a trial with that. It's not foregoing all oaths. Here's what had happened in the culture in that time. Because it was so strong, because the language of this was so strong, and because we have a propensity as people that we always look for wiggle room. They started creating some wiggle rooms with their oaths and their vows. And so, okay, instead of swearing by God, instead of making a vow before God, I'm going to make a vow before heaven. It's not quite as much God. So by heaven, I will pay this debt. Some would say, I'll I'll make an uh, an oath on earth. They started adding everything. Some Jewish men would say, I promise on my beard. So in other words, if I don't keep it, may my beard fall out. I, I promise on the temple. I promise on the gold of the temple. They started adding all these things. And here's the problem. This whole section of the Mishnah, the Mishnah was a a compendium of the Jewish law that was written on. There's a whole section called the Shebuath, and the Shebuath is just on vows. And it goes to. it's like reading a legal book and in it, they started differentiating which vows you really had to keep and which vows you didn't have to keep based on how you said the vow. And so one rabbi said, if you made an oath on Jerusalem, you didn't have to keep that one. But if you made your vow toward Jerusalem, you had to keep that one. I mean, you, you feel the craziness of it? Of just how much it, it, it got pushed around and all the things that came with it and the abuse that came out of it. This is why Jesus, in his teaching, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, again, you've heard that it was said to people long ago. And now notice he's quoting the Deuteronomy passage. He says, God gave the passage, do not break your oath, fulfill the Lord your oaths you have made. But I tell you, just don't swear on oaths any at all. Now, why is he saying this? He's not saying, oh man, that was a bad command, but what you've done with it now, and then look how he listed. He says, Don't swear by heaven, for it's God's stone or earth. It's his footstool by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. He's listing all the things that were in the Mishnah that they would swear by. He said, Just stop it. Stop swearing by heaven. Stop swearing by earth. Stop swearing. I mean, you've added all these things to it. It's the city of the great king. Do not swear on your head, even. You're not in control of your head. You can't even make one hair white or black. So you really in control of that? And then Jesus said, and this is where James got our verse. He says, all you need is to simply say yes and no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He said, when, when you've created all this wiggle room, all these loopholes that you've created, and, and in fact, if you read a little bit more, the people that were the worst about it were the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees. Because they had this reputation to keep. And so they wanted to, to very much present like, man, we are the holiest of the people, but we struggle with telling the truth as much as anybody else. And so we'll create all these loopholes. Look in Matthew 23, Jesus says, woe to you blind guys. He's talking to the Pharisees. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound to that oath. He's calling out specific ways they did that in the Shabbos. He said, are you kidding me? You, You make these oaths and you say, oh, if I swear by this, but if I swear by the gold on it, then it is. He says, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple or, the, the, or that that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound to that oath. You, you feel Jesus is just like going, this is ridiculous. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by by it and everything on it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. Anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Can can you feel in this? Jesus going pretty specific here. Can you feel his sense of frustration in this? Can Can you feel his sense that he's looking at it and goes, this is ridiculous. And then his little brother, James, picks back up on it. He goes, hey, before I finish out this letter, I got to hit on something my brother said. You're making these oaths. You're swearing all that. you're, You're doing all this wiggle room. Now, part of it, and again, it's a conjecture, but I can only imagine how many times James and Jesus in their father's carpentry shop. They had different people in who had promised to pay who'd made an oath they were gonna do something. How many times growing up had they heard, these people kind of, they got their loopholes on it. And they got, they got the wiggle room out of it. And the problem is it had so permeated the culture, everybody was doing it all the time. And, and everybody kind of knew where's the, the loophole that it's kind of like a little kid, I can cross my finger behind my back. And it doesn't really mean what I said it meant. And they developed a whole legal code based on it. Now, before we look at it and go, ooh, I'd hate to live in a culture like that. Man, what is happening in our culture today when it comes to the issue of truth? Time Magazine on its cover just a few years ago, the cover headline said, is truth dead and it was just charting how we even use language today Uh, every so often Merriam-Webster they'll pick their word of the year I noticed a few years ago they picked the word truthiness truthiness it it describes something that may not be completely true but it's in the ballpark so it has some truthiness to it uh, another word of the year was we live in a post-truth culture. Well, one one elected official said last year, under testimony, they were asking him the truth of it. And he said, well, truth isn't truth anymore. Because we live in a post-truth world. Uh, Another official when presented with facts said, I have an alternate list of facts. And you go, "Wait, wait, wait a second, what? Facts by definition were supposed to be true. And we've gotten so used to it. It's kind of who gives you your facts, who gives you your news, who gives you your real news and your fake news. We, we don't even expect, we, we, we live on these devices all the time. You have feed coming in all different sources. And you can watch TikTok and you get on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. And all, all the different things. And, and you see things all the time that's outrageous. I mean, outrageous claims sometimes by news organizations because what, what, they want to get a click. They want you to, yeah. and then you get on it and you realize, oh, that, that's not true. That's... We're fed a constant stream all the time. We've just kind of accepted. That's just part of our culture today. And, and I wonder as a church and as Christians, how much are we impacted by it? That's why Jesus, that's why James says, hey, before I finish this thing, you you guys got to be aware. This is an issue that can permeate a culture. And notice he wrote to Christians. It can permeate a church. Of of, are we a post-truth people and it's impacting us? See, the core issue here, if we're honest, let's call it for what it is. It's not post-truth. It's lying. It's lying. Now we don't like that. It's an ugly word. Everybody hates lying. But, but when you've so allowed yourself to live in the loopholes all the time, man, James says, we've got to call it for what it is. The issue is lying. And if, if you look in scripture, lying's one of the primary offenses in the Bible. It makes the top 10 list, doesn't it? There's 10 commandments, 10 things that, that just across culture, across time, across everything that God says, man, these violated, And right there in it is thou shalt not lie. And, and the reason is God himself is the truth. In fact, scripture says God can't lie. It's, it's so foreign to his nature, to who he is. And in fact, it even goes further. It's one of the things God hates the most. Look at Proverbs. It says there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And if I stopped right here and I go, hey, list the things that are an abomination before God. We, we might be prone to list, oh man, it's that sin and this and those men, that group over there and what they're doing with it. He goes, mm, actually, here's his list. Haughty eyes. In other words, you, you live such a prideful life that you look at life, you look at God in pride. Ooh, look at this one, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. He puts lying tongue right next to somebody that murders. He he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. People who do wicked, people who run to do wickedness. Again, another form of lying. False witnesses that breathe out lies when you say lies about other people and one who sows discord among the brothers. I mean, you you look at this list and and Proverbs is just real straightforward. and go, God hates this. It's always been a part of it. And yet, if if we're gonna be honest for a moment, we struggle with this more than we like to admit. I think it's one of the predominant themes in scripture comes to it again be, because I, I noticed a, a several years ago, there was this landmark survey that was done across the US and, and they did group after group and calls. It was, it was one of the most thorough surveys and when they printed it, it, it came out as this thing that was called the day America told the truth. And and in it, they just kind of went through all the stuff people admitted. Here was one of the ones that stood out to me. 91% of us admit that we lie. you. routinely kind of shows up in different places and we don't always call it a lie remember we we have our own form of loopholes too we kind of well I didn't quite actually that and we talk ourselves into it 86% of youth say they lie regularly to parents 75% say they lie regularly to their friends with it I mean, it was one of those studies that everybody kind of went back after it came out. Everybody goes, hey, I want to see the research behind it. I mean, is this science accurate? Now, again, with any survey, you've got a median and a range with it. But, but you, you look at this, this, this lying that we're more prone to than we like to admit. And, and here's one of the key problems with that. Lying is one of the primary tools of Satan. It's one of the primary tools of Satan. Look how Jesus put it in John 8. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the opposite of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the living embodiment of truth. I cannot lie because of that. God cannot lie. Satan is at his core a liar. Satan at his core, everything Satan does. Satan is not a creator. He doesn't have the power to create. All he has the power to do is corrupt what God's created. And, and so that's what lying is. He takes God's truth and he looks for every spin and every corruption of it and everything. From the very beginning, the very first time you see him show up on the scene, what does he do in the Garden of Eden? He shows up taking God's truth and corrupting it into a lie. And, and, and Jesus is talking to Pharisees, by the way, and he says, man, you're just like your father, Satan. Lies just come out of him. And whether you realize it or not, lies are just pouring out of you. Guys, the most predominant satanic activity in our world today is lying. More than Ouija boards and satanic films and symbols and all that stuff. The most predominant, the most active satanic activity is lying. And and the reality is we would not allow satanic symbols or the occult or all those things in our home. Why would we allow lying in our mouth? It's his favorite pastime. And, And James and Jesus and scripture, they call it out in strong language so that we can deal with it so that we can recognize as well, lying becomes easier the more we do it. It's interesting if you study with it. When you tell the truth, they've done MRI studies where they study the brain when people are truth-telling and telling lies. They've done all these different control groups with this. It really is fascinating when you read about it. When you tell the truth, four areas of your brain light up. And so it engages different with it. When you tell a lie... Over seven areas, at least seven areas always light up. And, and because you, you have to go to creative centers of your brain, the, the area it triggers the most when someone lies is the amygdala, that emotional center, that fight or flight center. And, and so when, when somebody in the studies, when they've done it, when somebody's telling a self serving lie, the first time they tell it, the amygdala really spikes. It's interesting, though, every time they keep telling self-serving lies, it spikes less and less and less. And the researchers said you can almost track it, that as the activity in the amygdala goes down, the lies go up, the levels of them. Because at some point, your brain is desensitized, is accepting it. It's almost that point where you're kind of believing your own lie with it. Uh, researchers are trying to develop, you know, a polygraph test can tell within 90% of the time if someone's lying or not. They want to actually develop an MRI test because they can believe within 100% of the time, show the brain activity of a liar. It'd be fascinating if they develop it one day. Here's the point of it though, is one of the researchers came, because you're doing so much activity it is much more wearying, it's much more tiring to lie. But the more you get used to doing that activity in areas, the easier it gets over time. Now that should sober all of us. That's why Jesus, that's why James said, hey, don't don't even start into the little white lies. Don't, don't even start into those areas where you're kind of fudging a little bit. Don't don't try to get your loopholes with it because you're training yourself in an activity that's the opposite of God, that God actually hates, that is actually from Satan himself. He's the father of lies. And as you look at that, lying destroys our witness as Christians. It destroys our witness as Christians. I mean, when, when you think about it and, and think about it, just even in reputation. Uh, go back. When I say the word Pharisee, what comes into your mind? When we think of the Pharisee, what's, what's probably the first word you think of when I say Pharisee? It was a real question, by the way. Pharisee. Hypocrite. Hypocrite's kind of the first thing that jumps out at all of us. If you walked around Jesus's day, that's not what they would have said immediately. It's one of the reasons they hated Jesus so much. He exposed them. But kind of Pharisee, if you said a Pharisee, everybody's like, oh, those are the spiritual people. Oh, yeah, those are the, oh, man, they're really rigid about it. What happened over time that this name Pharisee, the name Pharisee itself is not a bad name. It literally means set apart. They're the ones that identified themselves. I'm set apart to God, set apart to his law. So the name itself wasn't bad. But over time, because of activity like this, of always living in the loophole, of always kind of presenting one thing and living another, the word Pharisee itself now, for us, it's synonymous with hypocrite. And, and, and I, I just wonder, in the age we live in, what do people think of when they hear the word Christian now? B- because... Over time, in the same way, we, we carry that label. We carry the representation that we're representing Christianity in Christ. W- would someone say, or would you say, oh man, I'm going to hire that person because they're a Christian and I know they will be a good worker because they're a Christian. They'll work harder. Well, no, they'll be honest. They're a Christian. I know they're going to be honest with me. I know they wouldn't cheat me. Oh, great. A Christian moved in next door. Man, they're the best neighbors you can have. Shouldn't that be our reputation? And and hear me, I, I know some of the things that are said about Christians, it's not fair. Some, they hate us because they hate Jesus. I get that. But I also think we have to really ask ourselves, are we living in a way that people would go, oh man, Christians, they are honest to a detriment to themselves. I mean, I don't believe what they believe, but they sure are honest people. Is that what people would say about us? See, it destroys our witness. And look what Paul says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You represent Jesus. God is making his appeal through us. God is convincing people they should follow Jesus Christ through us. You're a billboard for Jesus if you're a Christian all the time all the time and, and that's why it, it's so important that if lying is a part of that, man, what does that say? Now, now hear me, hear me, because we don't want to become like the Pharisees. This is how the Pharisees got in trouble. They were like, oh yeah, we've got to represent well and so they kind of faked it on the outside all the time. We don't want to become like that. No one's saying you got to be a perfect billboard. In fact, one of the greatest billboards for Jesus are people that actually embrace grace. And where you have brokenness in your life, you go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's doing in me. But there's an honesty that comes with it. To give you the the last thing that lying does, lying destroys our relationships with each other, just destroys it. I mean, if you you look at it, therefore having put away falsehood, this is what written to the Ephesians church, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbors Why? Because we're members of one another. Paul says in Ephesians, this is why it's so important. As one body, you have to speak the truth to each other. He says it well, as well in Colossians, he says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, you put on the new self. Because you're being changed by Jesus, One of the key ways is we don't lie to each other, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. And then look what he says. Here, there's not Greek or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We come from all different backgrounds. We're all different people. The church is this amazing thing that's not just an organization, it's an organism that we are united together in Christ. And to keep that unity, we have to tell the truth. You you can't lie. And I'm just telling you, in years of talking to people and counseling people, I I have seen few things destroy a church or a business or friendship or a marriage more than lying. I've seen people that they have a loved one who's an addict, and, and they'll go, you know, I'm, I'm actually okay with addiction. I get that they're struggling with that. I get that they failed in that. Here's what's killing me, the lying. I've seen couples where there's been infidelity. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, an in infidelity where the spouse who has been cheated on will look and they go, I, I get that they cheated. It is so painful. It is so hurtful. But I'm telling you what I'm struggling with more than the cheating was the lying. It just eroded so much trust. The brokenness that comes out of it. Guys, this is why Satan loves it so much. Because it's so easy to do and we actually get used to it and it destroys So much. That's why James, as he's finishing this letter, he says, hey, I I got one more thing. We got to talk about this. I'm seeing that same activity that happened in Jewish culture where loopholes and and people are using all these excuses and that and it's showing up in the church and we can't do that because it will kill us. It will kill what we're doing here. It will kill our unity. It will kill our witness. We got to deal with it. And so let let me just call you. And maybe if you're here today, and I think for every one of us, maybe there's part of it you feel that that you go, oh man, I've not been truthful there. Oh, I've I've got to clean that up. And some of you here, you've been living under a lie for a long time. Just even the weight of it right now, just sits on you. What does God's word say? First of all, just choose to immerse yourself in God's truth. You're not going to stop lying by telling yourself, I'll stop lying. Um, that's probably a lie to yourself. You've probably done that one a few times before. What does what Jesus say? he says, he's praying for us. When he prayed for his church, look what he says. He says, Father, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, make them what they need to be in the truth. And your word is truth. And I would just say for all of us, we need to be set apart in the truth. We need to be rehearsing the truth. One of the reasons we call people to spend time with God, to engage God daily. It's one of our core practices. And one of the core ways you do that is through his word is what it's doing is it's immersing your mind in truth. You're hearing truth every day. You're seeing the truth of what Jesus is. You hear the truth of God's promises. You see the truth of his word. You see the truth as it convicts us. You see the truth over and over again. You need to immerse your mind in the truth. The reality is most people are immersing their minds in a constant stream all day long from different feeds and different activities and most of it at best is tinged with lies. And we are trying to tell ourselves we're not influenced by it. It's crazy. If we're gonna deal with this, we have to choose This is my stream. This is the stream of living water. This is where I flourish. And that takes rehearsing that and reading that. Jesus said as well, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, just like his brother James, don't just hear it. If you do it, if you abide in it, if you live in it, you're truly my disciples. And I love this line. He says, you're going to actually know the truth. If you'll spend time here and do it and live in it and look at this promise, the truth sets you free. Some of you right now, you've been living under a lie for a long time and you feel the weight of it and you feel that that your energy just drain out with it and you feel trapped. And Satan is telling you right now, you can't admit it, you can't tell anyone. If you admit this to anyone, man, your life's over. And and Jesus says, "No, no, no, just trust me. The truth will set you free. And you long in your heart for freedom. See, all of us All of us, we we have to immerse ourselves in truth because the lies are coming fast and furious all the time. And, And this is our truth. The second thing with this is choose to live with integrity so that the outside matches the inside. Choose, just make a choice that go, what's going on in here is actually what I'm gonna show out there. Jesus, in that passage I showed you in Matthew 23, a couple of verses later, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and plate and the outside may be clean." He says, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're so focused on your energy of how do I present to everybody else that I've got it together? How do I present to everybody else that I really am a good person? How do I present this show to others? And Jesus says, you, you got it opposite. You got to deal with the inside. And, and, and I would say for all of us, when, when 91% admit that they lie, Man, that's bad news for all of us. Let me give you some good news. The person who declared himself the truth also said he's the way and the life. And so part of it, admitting it and being honest, is coming to him and going, yeah, I'm probably dirtier inside than I even like to admit. And I need your truth. And I'm thankful that you are the way, that you did die on the cross, that you did for me what I couldn't do so I can experience life in you. Guys, that's the starting point for all of us over and over again. If we come to him and we go, yeah, I can't clean this cup, but you can and you will. And I trust you with it. And then as you do that, I I would just say, choose to live with simplicity. In other words, lose the loopholes. Look how James put it. He said, just let your yes be yes, your no be no, that you don't fall under this. Just get it clean, make life simple. And here's what I'd say. Anytime you're having to explain yourself a lot, anytime that you're going, well, actually what I really said in that moment, I've seen that sometimes when, when couples, and, and, w- and whenever I see the person that's over-explaining, well, in reality, I didn't really do, well, I didn't really say, if you go back and look at my words, and that, you know what that is? You're just creating loopholes. Jesus, and James said, just don't live that way. Just make it simple. If you say yes to something, do it. Say no to something, don't. But live in the simplicity that comes out of that. And then the final thing, I I would just say, choose to live missionally, choose to live missionally. Man, we wanna represent Jesus well. Not perfectly, because we're not perfect people, but we can represent him well, because he does sanctify us in his truth. He does change us. He does take people, and, and hear me, I have seen story after story. I have seen couple after couple. I've seen friendship after friendship. I've seen addict after addict that had core lying issues that got serious before Christ and embraced this and they are walking in truth today and they are walking billboards to the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ. And they're a witness to the world. See, all of us, when we go out today, when we go to work tomorrow, when we interact with our neighbors and friends, if we are a Christian, we've declared to the world, man, look at my life and I'll show you God's making his appeal to you through me that he's worth following. And and just even having that mindset suddenly kind of raises your game a little bit that you go, yeah, I, I've got to deal with this. You know, as a, as a pastor, pretty much everywhere you go, you, you run into people from the church all the time. And I, I've got other pastor friends, they kind of resent it. They're like, oh, don't you hate living in a glass house? People looking at you all the time. I hate it for my kids sometimes. It's not always fair to pastor's kids. You know, they're under scrutiny. They didn't deserve, they didn't sign up for this. But I don't mind it so much for me, because frankly, I need the help. I, I mean it. Like I'll be out and, and then I realize, wait, there's, there's maybe somebody's going to the church. Somebody's thinking about the church. Somebody's been involved with that. Don't be stupid, Tim. I'll tell myself a lot, I'm like, don't be stupid. And and I look at it and go, oh man, praise God. I have that level of accountability that people are watching. And and then it always hits me. It's like, seriously, Tim, that's what you need? God's always watching. Don't you want to please him the most? Don't you want to represent him the most? That's why we deal with this. And some of you today, you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it right now. In fact, I'm I'm so thankful we're going to end our service by taking communion and I can't think of anything better coming out of a message like this because part of communion is not just the taking of the elements. Paul also tells us it's a great time to just examine your life. It's a great time to let the Holy Spirit search you. It's a great time to bring that stuff, maybe this dirty inside that nobody's seen and ask for his grace and commune with him. I'm ask everybody, just take a moment, bow where you are. Just bow where you are. And, and before we take the elements of communion, we're gonna follow the admonition of Paul. He says, don't ever take this lightly. Don't ever just go through the motions because this represents what Christ did for us on the cross. And so take a moment right now and maybe examine your heart. And ask God, ask God right now, God, would you search me? Is there any place where I'm being deceptive? Are there any lies that I need to confess to you first and foremost? Confess it to him right now. Call it for what it is. Don't give yourself a loophole. Just call it for what it is before him. And now come to him and ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to make you whiter than snow. Ask him right now to give you the faith to believe that Jesus paid it all and you're truly forgiven. We call this time communion because it's a, a place where we get to commune with him. And so ask him right now to give you the strength to walk in the truth. The strength to be honest, not just in this room, but when you walk out of this room. Why don't you take the elements right now and the prayers that we just prayed, we know that God answers because of what these elements represent, because of what Christ did on the cross. His truth, His honesty becomes our truth and our honesty. Remember that His body was broken for you. Let's take and eat. Remember that his blood was shed for you. Let's take and drink. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that because of him, we can commune with you a holy God. We can worship you. We can know you. And we can be like you. Lord, I pray this day that this would not just be truth that we learn in this room but it's truth that we live in your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.